We can turn in your Bibles over to uh, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's great to see you all here today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, we started this section last uh, week, looking at the first six verses, and we got to about verse 3. And so we want to continue in our text this morning. But if you've been a believer for any amount of time, you understand what a controversial section of Scripture, chapters 12, 13, and 14, that deal with spiritual gifts is in the modern-day church. It's very divisive. Um, Paul meant it to be just the opposite. He didn't write these words to be divisive. He meant them to be unifying to the church. And there's nothing better than a church that is made up of believers who understand and are using the spiritual gifts that God has given to them. When that happens, even though there's a diversity of gifts, we don't all have the same gift. Amen? Boy, that'd be boring, wouldn't it? Could be dangerous, depending on what gift it is, if we all had the same gift. But we don't. God breaks it up. There's diversity of gifts. And that diversity, out of that diversity, comes unity within the body of Christ, not division. And so we've been looking at this, and I'll read the text from verses uh, 1 down uh, through verse 6, our text for today. Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by, uh, to mute idols, however you were, you were led. Verse 3, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And this is our text for today, verse 4 and 5 and 6. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service... Some translations say administrations, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Father, we ask your blessing upon the reading of your word this morning as we look at this text and just do a short review as we begin our study this morning. We pray that you would equip us with spiritual eyes to be able to see your truth in a way that we haven't seen it before. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we looked at the discussion of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer in verses 1 through 3. And we talked about the nuance of the spiritual gifts, the nature of the spiritual gifts. And we talked about last week they had an issue with the practice of idolatry. It says there that they were carried away. That's a passive verb. It's, it has the idea that something carried them away. And they were carried away to dumb idols. And we talked about that. And we, we spoke about how it's important to understand that, as Psalm says, their idols are silver and gold. They're the work of human hands. They, don't, they have mouths. They create mouths on their idols. But guess what? They can't speak. They have ears, but they can't smell. Psalm 115 says, noses. Uh, they can't hear, excuse me, (laughs) 
That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? <laughs> to smell with your ear. Uh, they have ears, <laughs> but they do not hear. Ro- noses, I almost said roses. Noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they can't feel. Feet, but they don't walk. And they don't make a sound in their throat. And what was happening in the Corinthian church is they were susceptible to falling into the misuse of their spiritual gifts based upon their previous experience with idol worship. And we talked about that extensively last week. And I would say even today, there are people within the church today who try to duplicate or try to see their spiritual gifts by experience. They're all focused on experience. But there's a fine line between knowledge and experience. And the problem with our society today is what we would call existentialism, which basically says that whatever you experience is true. It's real. And it's gone to the point of being ridiculous. It's gone to the point where you can have men playing sports against women because the man feels that he's a woman. Ridiculous. It's bizarre. You have people that are claiming to be of Indian descent, American Indian descent, Because of some stories their parents or grandparents told them. And they even used that to gain advantage in their education and things like that. And then when the test comes out, they're not Indian at all. But they feel Indian. See, we live in a world today that is unfortunately focused on what people experience and what people feel. Truth doesn't matter. Well, Paul is saying it does. And so what was happening in the Corinthian church and their, their background, they came out of these mysterious religions, they were called, and what they would do is they would take certain drugs and they would go into this secret meeting, this religious meeting, and they'd be all jacked up on some kind of drug, and they'd come out of the, the meeting saying, wow, I, I was talking to the, the pagan god Bacchus. We had a wonderful conversation. He was right there. And because they experienced that, they thought it was true. There's people today that would swear that they have spoken to the Lord Jesus Christ in person. The only problem with that is the Bible says that Jesus is where? In heaven, at the right hand of the Father. So I don't know who they were speaking to, but it wasn't Jesus. We have to be careful when we come to trying to live by our experiences. Our experiences need to come under the reign of the Word of God. I mean, think of some of the, I don't know if you dream, but once in a while, it's just a crazy dream. I mean, wake up in the, the point where I don't dream much, but when I do, they're pretty interesting. And sometimes they're horrifying to be honest, about a loved one or grandchild or something. You wake up and you're in a cold sweat and you're thinking, well, and then it takes you a couple of minutes to realize, wait a minute, this isn't real. This is fake. This is just a dream. Well, that's what Paul wanted them to understand. Don't bring this pagan 
experience that you've had when it comes to the spiritualities, the spiritual gifts. Don't look for that same experience. And then he talked about the principle of interpretation, and he basically pointed out two things. He says, no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. And then positively, he says, no man can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Paul wanted them to understand their background. That's why he says, you were pagans. He's not calling them pagans now. He's saying, you were this. And there's not a person in this room, if you're a believer here today, that you didn't come from some sort of sordid background. And we should fall on our knees with gratefulness to God and thanking him that he has come into our lives and transformed our thinking in our hearts and our minds. Because we would be steeped in our sin even today. And he says they were being led away to these dumb idols, led astray. But God wants every person to know that spiritual salvation is possible. Notice what he says there in verse 3. He says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one, no one, that speaks of individuals, that eliminates the everyone. (laughs) When it comes to having a spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ, man is completely out of this picture. We don't save ourselves. It's the Spirit of God that gives us new life, and he deserves complete credit. See, God wants his church to realize that the only way any person gets saved is by the work of the Holy Spirit in their heart. That's what Paul is telling them. You don't need to go after a dumb idol. And I'll say this, no one can have an improper perspective of Jesus Christ by means of the Spirit of God. In other words, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're saved, you're not going to have an improper perspective unbiblical view of Christ. It's very easy to discern who are believers and who are not. Just ask them who Jesus is. It's very easy to point out the cults and say, well, Jesus is the spiritual brother of Lucifer. No, don't think so. Any person who has a distorted perspective of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross is one who is not in touch with the Spirit of God. And then secondly, he points out there in verse 3, that no one can have a proper perspective of Jesus Christ, except by means of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Christianity isn't something that you're going to just figure out. You can study all the books you want. You can read all the theology, study all the church purins, everything you want to do. Go ahead. It's good for education. But it's not going to save you. Seminaries across the U.S. and the world are filled with theologians who have incredible minds, very smart individuals, and they know everything there is to know about theology. But many of them aren't saved. They've missed the forest through the trees. We need to understand no person, man, woman, child, can ever come to terms with Jesus Christ on their own. That's why you need a Savior. You need a hand, an awareness of the fact that Jesus is God and he alone can save from sin and that he is Lord is a work completely accomplished by the Holy Spirit. That's why 
John, Jesus told Nicodemus, you have to be born again. That's not something that you have anything to do with. I mean, it's no wonder people are so confused when it comes to the subject of spiritual gifts. Because they're confused about the subject of their own salvation, to be honest with you. Many actually think that they, they brought themselves to Christ somehow. They prayed a prayer. They raised a hand. You can turn that PC off on the soundboard. We're all blinded. We were all lost. And it was only God's Holy Spirit who worked in our lives and brought us to faith in Christ. We didn't do it on our own. In fact, Jesus taught that. He taught exactly the same thing about the Spirit of God that Paul taught in John 16, verses 17, or 7 to 13. And so the, the Corinthian church, you have to understand, they loved to applaud themselves. They were all about me, not we, me. And Paul loved to give the glory to God. And so he's pointing out here the importance A powerful, God-honoring, God-glorifying existence comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and an intense pursuit of the Word of God. Well, you say, well, why would Paul teach these first three verses like this when he's introducing spiritual gifts? Why would he do this? Well, eventually we're going to get to chapter 14. And when we get to chapter 14, this is where a lot of people have a lot of problems with spiritual gifts. The real battle among Christians is how you read chapter 14. Are you reading it that Paul is condemning something? Or is Paul commending something? That alone will tell you your take on spiritual gifts. See, that's the big problem. And we'll talk about that when we get to that chapter. But the reason why he started out here like this is because of what happened in Corinth can also happen to us today. When it comes to spiritual gifts, we can rely on experience rather than truth. How do you deal with someone who tells you, well, yeah, you know, I was in the room and, you know, the Holy Spirit appeared to me and took me up. And I was able to leave my body. And I mean, obviously they had some kind of experience. But you have to bring that experience under the view of the Word of God. See, the moment you decide that spiritual gifts are not the work of the Holy Spirit or that somehow anybody can have them, whether they believe or not, you're way off base. There's people that churches that teach that you have to pray for certain gifts. And that's even more important than their salvation. (laughs) What they don't fail to understand is there's some people that practice those same gifts, speaking of tongues, that are definitely not Christians. That's something that's practiced in almost every culture. It's practiced in paganism. And yet people don't point that out. So we've seen here the discussion of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer in verses 1 to 3. Well, we come here to verse 4. And we begin to look at the differences 
the differences. After reminding the Corinthians of their pagan, idolatrous background, Paul gave them two tests, one negative and one positive, for determining if professing Christian is truly saved out of the paganism and if what he says is genuinely of the Holy Spirit. See, it's God himself who gives the right understanding of Jesus. We don't come to that on our own. And because the Corinthian church were behaving in response not to the Spirit but to the flesh, they quarreled, they became factious, divisive, they took each other to court, they fell back into immoral and idolatrous practices, they had corrupted marriage relationships, they abused their Christian liberty, they became very self-centered, as I said, they became overconfident and they became worldly. And their misunderstanding and misuse of spiritual gifts was a major result of their carnal divisiveness. Why does the Spirit give us gifts? He gives gifts to believers to express and strengthen the unity that they have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens when people misuse their spiritual gifts, which you can do, by the way? It shatters that unity. It divides brothers and sisters. It ruins their testimony before the world. And it short-circuits their growth and effectiveness in the Lord's service. You know, the one thing that Paul no doubt had taught the, the Corinthians carefully about spiritual gifts. He was there a year and a half. I'm sure he brought up the fact of spiritual gifts as their pastor. And somehow they had forgotten or perverted much of what he taught. And now he is coming back and writing this letter and he's reiterating and reinforcing what they should have already known. And so in this passage, the apostle explains that the Spirit gives a variety of gifts and they're to be used in a variety of ministries and they have a variety of effects. But they come from one common source, the Holy Spirit, and for one common purpose, the edification of the church. And so as you look at verse 4, we see here this fascinating section of Scripture. And a lot of people need to pay attention as it relates to the differences among us as the church body. That's why he says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Where you see that word variety, 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 in the King James, there are different words. Well, in the original language, it's all the same word. It's talking about the difference among us as the body of Christ. And so in verses 4 to 6, what Paul is saying is the differences in the gifts are caused by God. They're not caused by people. Now, you have to stop and you have to remind yourselves to have unity, you must have diversity. Unity of spirit and purpose can be maintained only through diversity of ministry. And remember, we said this at the beginning, unity is not uniformity. See, that's where a lot of churches have issues. They want everybody to look the same, talk the same, walk the same, dress the same. That's not the church of Christ. Just think of a football team. 
If all the players wanted to play the position of quarterback, you would have uniformity, but you would not have unity. Right? There'd be nobody to throw the passes to. There'd be nobody to run the ball. It could not function as a team if everyone played the same position. That's what Paul is trying to explain to the Corinthian church. He says God gives his people varieties of gifts. Just as players on a team have different skills that play different positions. Well, this morning we're going to look at seven points. And I pray that this helps you understand the spiritual gifts maybe that you have. The first point there is listed in your, your outline. Every believer has at least one spiritual gift. If you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have at least one spiritual gift. I'm sure most people have more than one. Paul likely did. Others do. But we have at least one. So if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today and you're sitting here, you can't say, well, I don't have a spiritual gift. That would go against Scripture. You do. You may not know what it is. You may not be using it. But even down in verse 7, look, in chapter 12, he says, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. To each one. That means everyone that comes to know Christ has a spiritual gift. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 to 11, it says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. So, first point, simply, is every believer has at least one spiritual gift. Secondly, the differences in the nature and use of spiritual gifts are the result of, guess what? Not your skill, not your talent, not what church you go to. No, they're the result of God's grace. They're the result of God's grace. Turn over to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. And look at, at verses 6 to 8. It says they're having gifts that differ. They're different, that differ. Why? According to the grace given to us. Let us use them. So we all have different gifts. We're all gifted in a different way, to a different capacity. And we don't decide, first of all, which gifts we have and which gifts we don't. We don't even decide how extensive our gifts are used. (laughs) That's decided by the grace that's given to us. So he says, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, in service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in his generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I mean, think if you were part of a company and the board of that company all shared the same giftedness or the same abilities. They were all identical. Would you think that would be a good thing? I don't think so. It could probably be downright dangerous. (laughs) If they all had the gift of leadership and they all thought they were the leader and you had 12 of them, think about it. That's not going to end too well. 
See, we need to be very careful. We need to understand that there will be differences in how you use your gift. It's not going to look like the person that may have the same gift as you. You may not use your gift the same way they do. We have to be careful that we're not critical, that, oh, well, I have the gift of teaching, and that person has the gift of teaching. Well, why aren't they teaching like me? If they're not teaching like me, they don't have the gift of teaching. I'm sorry. See, that's, that's a prideful, arrogant attitude. And that's what Paul is trying to point out. We need to be careful that we don't look at someone who uses their gift differently than us and say that they're doing it the wrong way. Why? Because whatever differences there are when it comes to spiritual giftedness, it's the result of God's grace. Not human ability, not initiative. That's what God has done. You received it from his grace, and it, that causes the difference, even within the body of Christ. The actual text there in Romans 12, 6 says, having gifts differing according to the grace of God given to us. So we all have a gift, and the differences are the result of God's grace. Well, thirdly here, not all believers have the same gift. Not all believers. Look at verse 4. It says, varieties of gifts. Varieties of gifts. I mean, we should be applauding this. Thank God we all don't have the same gift. Boring. I mean, it would just be very boring. It would cause major problems. It's very clear in the Bible that not all believers have the same gift. It says there now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. So there are differences in the actual number of gifts. Some of you may ask, well, how many, how many gifts are there? Come next week. We're going to look at how many gifts there are. Come back. But right now, all you need to know is that all believers have a gift, but they may not have the same gift. Fourthly, all spiritual gifts are given by the same Holy Spirit. It's right there in verse 4 once again. It says there are a variety of gifts, but what? But the same Spirit. What he's trying to tell the Corinthians, this isn't an issue to split over. This isn't an issue to divide the church over. We need to be unified. Because it's the same Holy Spirit doing this in all of us. So that we can all work together. That we can build each other up. That we can be more effective in our testimony before a lost and dying world for the Lord. So it's the same Spirit. All spiritual gifts are given by the same Holy Spirit. Verse 5. Next point. Believers who have the same gift will use it in different ways. Isn't that interesting? It says varieties of service or some translations say administration. Service is really a better translation. Believers who have the same gift as another believer will use it in a different way than that person does. That's the main point of, of that verse. 
that there are differences in the way it's used or ministered or served. Never expect that the gift that you have is going to be used exactly the same way in someone else's life who has the same gift. It's not. As a matter of fact, by the way it's worded here, it won't be. You won't find two people with the same spiritual gift using it in the identical same way. Why? Because we're all created differently. We all have different personalities. We all have different educational backgrounds. We all have different issues going on. So it's going to be different for everybody. That's very insightful when it comes to looking at the church. What's he saying? He's saying, don't try to follow somebody else in the way that they use their gift. Paul's trying to tell them, let the Lord work in your heart. I mean, so many times we want to get it right that we don't get it at all. And what Paul is saying is, listen, the Spirit of God is clearly capable of saving you. He's clearly capable of gifting you with a spiritual gift, which he has done. And he's clearly capable of showing you how to use your spiritual gift. That's why sometimes the little spiritual gifts assessments, I mean, they're okay to point you in the right direction. But you know what? Sometimes it feeds our pride, to be honest. I mean, we want to Go through a test like that, coming out with teaching and prophecy and exhortation and leadership and all these wonderful gifts. And we find out our, we have the gift of helps or the gift of giving. Don't think that way. That's not how God has gifted you. It's not up to you. He's going to use you in a way that he will not use someone else with that same gift. That's why you don't have to follow individual people. That's what happens so many times. Everybody tries to be like somebody else rather than trying to be who God called them to be. That happens in churches. I've been in ministry long enough to know when I run across somebody and the first conversation we have is about how they can change me, (laughs) how I should change. I've had conversations with people here after the first Sunday. Can I meet with you? Sure. So we meet with call. You know when you're teaching, you don't do real well with the eye contact. I know, I'm just kind of a shy person. I, I don't do well with eye contact. I get it. Well, you know, here, you can go through these exercises and I'll train you how to... I'm not interested. That's not who I am. I mean, you'd be shocked if I walked in here one day and... You know, it was somebody I wasn't. I've had people say, well, you know what? You're just too transparent when you teach. You know, you just share some things. Maybe, who cares? God's gracious. I mean, yeah, I probably have shared some things. I'm sure my wife will tell you. Yeah, he's definitely shared some things you shouldn't have shared. But you know what? That's who I am. And I'm comfortable with that. And God saved me. He's going to give me grace to deal with it. Not that you can't grow, not that you can't learn. You're always called to do that. But we need to get our eyes off of other people and just get our eyes back on the Lord, amen? Because we all will use our gifts differently. And you know what? God loves that. The very nature of God speaks difference 
I mean, think of creation. I mean, just look around the room. Do we all look the same? No. We all look different. Even within your own family, your kids look different. Except for the McCafferty twins. But they do look different. The one's got a mole, the other one doesn't. So I just can't remember who's who. But anyway. But even at that extent, they're different. Different personalities. So God loves those differences. Don't be afraid of those differences. And this word here where he says uh, ministry or, or uh, service, it's the same basic Greek word as, as we get the word servant or deacon. I mean... Jesus even speaking of himself in Mark 10.45. He said very clearly that even for the Son of Man did not come to what? Be served, but what? To serve. And so Jesus came to minister to others for God. His Spirit gives gifts to his people so we can do the same thing. See, spiritual gifts are not about you. And that's what's so unfortunate about a lot of the charismatic teachings today. It's all about them. And they're in the spotlight because of their spiritual gift. Well, that's not the nature of spiritual gifts. The nature of spiritual gifts is to serve others. The Lord gives them to his servants so they can serve. And he gives them for a limitless variety of services in different ways. All gifts are for service. All spiritual gifts are for service. But the types of service are immeasurable. And it's critical to understand at this point that spiritual gifts are not given for self-edification. Some people who are in the charismatic movement who claim to have the gift of tongues, they call it. In the Bible, it's called the gift of languages because it was a language. And when you have a conversation with them, and you say, well, why do you speak in the gift of tongues? Oh, it just builds me up in my spiritual walk. Right there, I know it's false. That's not the purpose of it. That wasn't the purpose of it in the New Testament. So I don't know what you're doing in your little prayer closet, jibber-jashing away, but it's not what the spiritual gift in the Bible is. A teacher who studies the Word and then writes lessons that only he reads or records his messages just so he can hear himself is what? He's, he's prostituting his gift of teaching. It'd be like a person with the gift of discernment who keeps his spirit-given insights to himself. God has given certain individuals to see certain things. Well, if they never shared those things with anyone, they would really be an unfaithful steward of their spiritual giftedness. So they're not for self-edification, but they're not, also not for Self-service. God's gifts are not given for self-service. I mean, an example, a Christian with the gift of helps must, by definition, be involved in serving others. Just as service, by definition, involves helping others. So every gift is... A helps gift because 
Every gift is a service gift. A gift exercised in private is a perverted spiritual gift. That's not what God gave us gifts for. God gives his gifts to us for others. Now, we're personally blessed, hopefully, when we use our spiritual gifts and we, and we see the Spirit's power working through us and it's helping others in his name. He gets the glory. But that blessing is a, is a byproduct of the original purpose. In 1 Peter 4.10, it says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We are stewards of God's grace in our lives. They are, these spiritual gifts are loaned to us. They're not ours. Kind of like our children. They belong to him. They are for us to use, but by its power in his service and for his glory. Well, the sixth thing here, every believer, every believer's gift should be used to serve the Lord. It's kind of in the same frame. It tells us there in verse 5, so though we are many, I'm in Romans, hold it. Verse 5, it says, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And by the way, you see the Spirit, you see Jesus, and you see the Father in these verses, by the way. They're all involved in this. It says there are differences of the way we minister, but the same Lord. We're all different, but we're all serving Christ. And unfortunately, this is where it gets kind of messed up within the local church. This is where people get hurt. And then you stop serving the Lord. You're doing what you're doing so that people will think well of you. Look at me. I'm doing this for the church. I'm doing that for the church. You're doing what you're doing to get strokes or many thanks from people. See, we serve the Lord. I'm not here to serve you, I'm here to serve the Lord. You should be here for the same reason. Keep your eyes on the Lord. And here's what usually happens in the ministry of spiritual gifts. You're going to run into people within the church. Well, frankly, they don't like how you're using your spiritual gift. They don't like it. Maybe they have the same gift and they don't do that. What gives you the right to do that that way? And as a matter of fact, I mean, I'll just say this. It may be a shock to some of you. But among the Christians within the church, you're going to run into people that not only like, don't like your spiritual giftedness, they don't like you. <laughs> they just don't. I'll just say it. They don't like you. They don't like what you're doing. They don't like how you're doing it. And you know what? If you would only listen to them, they could change you and shape you into the way you should be. Have you ever run into people like that? We all have. Look, we just need to learn to relax and just love the Lord and serve the Lord. Keep our eyes on the Lord. Love the Lord with all your heart and stop trying to change everybody else around you. 
to be like you. Stop trying to pressuring stop trying to pressure them into being something they're not. See, we should be celebrating our differences, not criticizing them. Let's just take people the way they are. Because God is going to use people in ways maybe we don't understand. I mean, there's people that rub me the wrong way, I'll be honest with you. And I've gone away from conversations saying, oh, that guy's never going to be used by the Lord, only to hear they're used greatly by the Lord. See, we should be thanking God for people instead of trying to hassle them all the time into what we want them to be or what, they, what we want them to do. So we see here, every believer has at least one spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are the result of God's grace. Not all believers have the same spiritual gift, but all spiritual gifts are given by the same Spirit, and they're to be used in different ways. And every spiritual gift should be used to serve the Lord. The last point here, verse, or the last seventh point in verse 6, there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Seventh point, the extent to which each believer's gift is used, guess what? It's not determined by you. It's determined by our sovereign God. I mean, we have one of the most interesting verses here in verse 6. I mean, we're told in first, here in chapter six that, or, or chapter 12, verse 6, that there are differences in operations or activities. Energema in the Greek, it literally means that that is worked out or energized activities. The one who provides our spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit, is also the one who provides, guess what? The energy and the power to use your spiritual gift. As well as the faith, Romans 12, 3. To make them effective. Sometimes people will, especially early on in my ministry, they say, you know, you need to slow down. You're just going to burn yourself out. Slow down. Slow down. I'm not going to burn myself out. Why? Why slow down? You only have so much time on this earth. And by the way, if I'm going to burn out, I want to burn out for the Lord. Amen? Not sitting on some island drinking a soda on the beach. You have to understand that when you're using your spiritual gift, to be honest with you, if it's an exhausting experience, guess what? Something's wrong. Either you're doing it in the flesh, or maybe you don't have that. If, if I got up here to teach every week, and, and I got done, and I was just, oh, oh my God, I can't, can't take it anymore. No. It, it doesn't really even affect me. And I don't like to do I don't like to be in this kind of venue in front of people and all that. It's taxing on me. But you know what? God gives me the energy, the ability to do it. I shake my head every week. And so just as spiritual gifts are given supernaturally, they're also energized supernaturally. 
So if you feel yourselves being weary and worn, stop and look at what you're doing because it may not be what God is calling you to do. And unfortunately, the modern-day Christian church has, has really abused this. They've made people serve the church out of guilt. You know, and that has no place in a biblical church. I mean, I would rather you not serve at all rather than serve out of guilt. You'd be sinning still because you're called to serve. <laughs> but I would not want to deal with people on a continued basis who are serving the Lord out of guilt. I came out of a religion based on guilt, Roman Catholicism. I'm not going back there. We are free in Christ. Amen? We live by grace, by faith. And so we may exercise our, our talents, and Christians, no matter how well-trained and how experienced, maybe how unselfishly motivated, you cannot exercise your spiritual gift in your own power. Just can't do it. You may exercise your talents. You may exercise your skills, your intelligence, a lot of other natural abilities that you may have in your own power. But only the giver of spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit, can empower them and make them effective. I mean, it's the same way when God gives us commands as believers, right? He never gives us a command which he does not also give us the ability to obey. So he does not give spiritual gifts for which he does not also give you the power to use them. But we have to be pure from sin. We have to be willing to be used in order that the Holy Spirit can make our gifts productive. So both the bestowing and the empowering are the Lord's exclusive domain. John MacArthur said this, a self-made Christian is a self-contradiction. You can't be in the right place and you cannot be doing the right thing. He harms himself. He harms those whom he tries to minister. And he harms the Lord's work. I mean, obviously, the Word of God carries enough power on its own to accomplish divine results through the gifts that he gives but used by a carnal believer, by someone who's trusting in their flesh and not the Spirit, the gift is not able to bring personal fruitfulness and blessing to that believer. So the same gift may be used by the Lord in countless ways, in many varieties, but it's given by only the Holy Spirit. And so we don't expect all the, to have the same gifts and we shouldn't expect them to operate in the same way. We shouldn't even expect them to produce the same quantity of fruit. There's some people who are very gifted. And they're pastoring a church of five people somewhere out in Nebraska in the middle of the plains. And no one goes, there's no, no hope for them to ever have a huge church. But you know what? They're faithful. They're gifted. They're serving the Lord where 
the Lord has called them to, to serve. And there's other people that are maybe less gifted who have a huge church. Why? Their gift is being worked out in a different way. The extent to which each believer's gift is used is determined by the sovereign Lord, not by circumstances. That's what most people think. I mean, talk about the gift of teaching for a moment, just the gift of teaching. There are some people who can gift, that are gifted at teaching, and they can sit down with a group of three to five people and have a wonderful teaching experience. I mean, they're blessed. The people they're teaching are blessed. I mean, it's incredible. They just have the ability to take that that small group and, and teach them in a way that builds everybody up. But you take that same person who has a gift of teaching and you put them in front of 50, 100, 500 people, and guess what? They can't even open their mouth. They just have a mental block. They just, they just get flustered. They can't function in front of a crowd. It doesn't mean they don't have the gift of teaching. It just means God uses them in a different way. See, people think... Well, they got the gift of teaching. That should make a difference. If both people have the gift of teaching, they should be able to teach no matter what. And that's not true. It's just not true. Because according to the Bible, there are differences as to the extent to which each gift is used. I think of the, some of the folks that teach our younger people, the elementary and toddlers, I mean, you know, I've done that, not in this church, but in other churches. And trust me, that takes a gift. It it, it does. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, they're master teachers. If you can teach a young child and hold their attention for an hour, maybe if the pastor's long-winded, an hour and a half, two hours, I mean, that's amazing. See, those who are teaching adults, they oh, well, you start off at the Sunday school, you know. Maybe if you prove yourself in Sunday school, then one day you can be behind the pulpit. That's ridiculous. Don't ever think that way. That's not how God wants us to think. Whether it's two people or 50 people, whether it's in front of a crowd or in a small group, whether it's adults or children, if you have the gift of teaching, the idea is you should use it to edify those you're teaching. There are some people who are adversely affected by how many people they're teaching. I worked with a pastor one time, literally. I mean, on that Sunday, if we had less people than the Sunday before, and he counted... Matter of fact, he had a little deacon at the end of the service. He'd run up to the pastor, and he'd give him a little slip. And on the slip, it'd say how many people were in church, how many people were in last week, what the offering was, what the offering was last week. And if it was less in any way, his whole demeanor changed. I mean, you would literally meet him at the door, shake his hand, and say something like, well, you know, we'll see you Wednesday night. Well, I don't know. The way things are going, I don't know if I'll be here, to be honest with you. It's just sad, sour. But boy, you know what? If, if, if the numbers were greater or the giving was greater, ah, a great sermon today. Boy, just incredible difference based on a number. 
See, we all are gifted in different ways. There's some people who, you know, I've been sitting under their teaching. And you're just, you know, sitting there listening to them teach, maybe making some notes. And they'll actually come up to you afterwards and say, can I talk to you real quick? Sure. Hey, you know, at this section in my message, I noticed you kind of winced and shook your head. Did that mean you disagreed with me? It's like, I did? I don't remember. I don't know. What were you talking about? I mean, they're very attentive. They're watching people's eyes. Are they tracking? And Then you have people like me. I mean, you could all get up and leave, and I'd still be teaching. It's kind of weird, but that's kind of how I am. Matter of fact, people come up, hey, sorry, I had to leave early. And it's like, what are you talking about? You left? I didn't even know you leave. <laughs> left. See, we need to be reminded that our spiritual giftedness does not come from our human ability, achievement, or talent. But it comes from the Lord, the Holy Spirit. And you know what? If we're walking around bragging about our spiritual gift, then frankly, we're deceived. Because it doesn't come from you. Right? It's a gift. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It would be like somebody who was poor their whole life. They didn't have two nickels to rub together. And lo and behold, some long-lost uncle leaves them an incredible amount of wealth through an inheritance, through a gift of an inheritance. And after they receive all this money, what do they do? They rent a building and they put up a placard outside saying, now I'm a financial counselor. (laughs) Now I'm a fiduciary. I want to help you invest your money. I mean, you would say, well, wait a minute, where's the credibility? It's not like he earned that money. It was given to him as a gift. They don't have the right to brag about how for many years they used their financial wisdom and insight to amass such great wealth. No, it was given to them as a gift. And that's really what spiritual gifts are. They're given to us. So it's determined by the Lord. The extent to which each believer's gift is used is determined by our sovereign God. I'm thankful for that. It's not dependent on me. It's not dependent on you. It's dependent on the Lord. It's God who gifts each believer in their usefulness. And it's determined by his sovereign will. That's why in 1 Peter 4.11 it says, Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We're, We're not to walk around saying, look at my spiritual giftedness. Well, quickly here in closing, I just want to share with you four words They're used in the New Testament for the word gift. And this is kind of a foundation for the weeks to come. But it's kind of a quick summary here. There are four words in the Greek language that are used, that are translated in our English Bibles as gift. And so I listed them there in your outline, but the first one is doria. It means simply free gift. That's all it means. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, look at how it's used. It says, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive, what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, people take that and say, see, this is talking about spiritual gifts. No, it's not. 
It's not the word charisma, which is the next word we want to look at. It's the word doria. It's not talking about spiritual gifts. It's talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit himself. As a matter of fact, the same word is used over in Romans chapter 5, verse 17. It says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift, doria, same word, of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So Doria is the free gift of the Holy Spirit himself. In Romans, it refers to the free gift of salvation. Now, guess what? You need this gift before you'll receive, ever receive any spiritual gifts. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, if you haven't trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and received the Spirit, you're not going to have a spiritual gift. It's impossible. You must receive Christ as Lord and Savior. You must be born again. And then you receive the Spirit in order to have the spiritual gifts. Well, number two, the second word, this is a word we're familiar with, charisma, right? Charismatic, we speak of it. It it talks of special abilities given by the Holy Spirit. That's in our text. This is the word that's being used in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We talk about certain people have personality. Boy, isn't that guy charismatic? Or then you have charisma, all right? The word charis is the word grace. And here, in our context, they are talking about special abilities that are given by the Holy Spirit only to believers. This is speaking of your spiritual giftedness, charisma. The third word that's used in the New Testament is doma, D-O-M-A. And it's speaking of gifted men who are given to the church to equip believers to use their spiritual gifts. It's what we see in Ephesians chapter 4. This is, you know, after the Lord had ascended to on high to be with the Father in heaven. He's no longer going to be here on earth. And what we learn in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 to 12, is that as the Lord, after he ascended up on high, he left the church gifts. He left them doma. Because he's not going to be here on earth any longer to help the church. So what did he do? He gifted certain men, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers, to the church. It says in Ephesians 4, verse 8, Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave, and he gave gifts to men. And then it tells us what the gifts are. In verse 11, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So I would be classified as a doma. I'm a gift to the church to equip you to better understand how you can use your spiritual gifts to serve the body. That's how that works. Well, there's one more, and a lot of people don't even consider this one, the fourth one. You have Dorea. Charisma, Doma, and the last one is Marismas. Marismas. This speaks of special, miraculous sign gifts that confirm the message that the apostles were bringing. Turn over to Mark chapter 16, real quick, and we'll close this up. Mark 16. And this is laying a foundation so that when we get into the web of all the speaking of these different gifts, 
you'll, you'll realize, oh, wait a minute. It's good to have that foundation. So Marismas is mentioned in Mark um, chapter 16, or in Hebrews, but in, in Mark chapter 16, look at verse 17. I want to read you this verse first. Now the disciples, this was on the, the night of, the, of Jesus' resurrection. This is when this took place. And the disciples, unfortunately, were having some issues with their belief. As a matter of fact, they had so much issue with the belief uh, that Jesus himself even rebuked them for their unbelief. Well, in verse 17, he says, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues or languages. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Verse 19, So then the Lord Jesus, after he spoke to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father. That's where he's at. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them, listen, and confirmed, what? The message by accompanying signs. See, one of the the most misunderstood subjects in the New Testament is the subject of the miraculous sign gifts. Now, Trust me, we never want to question God's ability to do anything miraculous. Amen? I mean, God is a God of miracles. But there were certain special sign gifts given to certain individuals, and they were given to confirm, that's what the Bible says, to confirm the message. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. So you see in Mark where these sign gifts were given to confirm the message. And then in Hebrews chapter 2, and Hebrews was written to Hebrews, Jews. So look at what it says here in verse 1. Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Verse 2, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, which it was, by the way, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, which happened. Verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Look at what it says. It was declared at first by who? What's it say? By the Lord. And then it was attested. That's the same Greek word as confirmed by the way, in Mark chapter 16. So it was attested or confirmed to us by those who heard. What's he saying? Remember, the writer of Hebrews is telling us here, we who heard the apostles speak back in this time, we heard them speak this message. How did we know what they were speaking was true? How did we know what they were speaking was divine? How do we know what they were speaking should be put in our Jewish Bible? The Tanaka. How do we know that? Why would we take their message? Why would we believe it? Even Hebrews chapter, or 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 22 tells us. Remember when we went through chapter 1 verse 22? It talks about Jews. Who what? They require a sign. 
So what he's pointing out here in Hebrews is that, listen, this message of this wonderful salvation was first given by the Lord, and we heard it from the apostles. Why should we believe what they said? Because they had signs to back up what they were saying. What evidence do we have that what you're saying is truly from God? That's what the question they were asking. And the answer is miraculous signs. They were given those and, and who would hear their message. They would see that, wow, these people are doing these miraculous signs. That's a stamp of approval by God upon their lives, and we should take this message seriously as if it was from God himself. And they would confirm the word which was spoke. Now, verse 4 there in Hebrews 2, it says, While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and look, and by, what's it say? Gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. That's not charisma, that's marismas. See, he's giving a very specific, clear definition here. These are gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's not charisma, it's not doma, it's marismas. That word means to divide or distribute. The Holy Spirit distributed some very special, miraculous abilities on the men who were speaking the message that is now recorded for us in our canon of Scripture, the New Testament. And the Jews back then had to know, is this from God or not? Should we include this in Scripture or not? That's how God did it. Now, all these are gifts, and we're going to be focusing next week on the charismatic gifts, charisma, those special abilities given by the Holy Spirit to believers. We all have one. I trust you're using yours within the body of Christ. But we need to have a broad understanding and and know how else it is used, this word gifts. That's why I did that little summary for you. And we'll be touching on those different um, words as we go along in our study. But see, God gave us all these gifts, beloved, these wonderful things to be a blessing to one another, not to be a point of contention. It was his intention that we would use our gifts to build each other up, that they would draw us together, that we wouldn't act independently of each other, that we would sense that we need each other as the body of Christ, his church, each and every day. That's why God has gifted us all differently through and by his Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for this just foundational message as we begin to look specifically next week how many gifts there are and what they are. And Father, we pray that for each member of our church, Lord, that they would be looking at their own heart and look at how they should be serving the body of Christ even in this odd time. There's ways that you can serve through your spiritual giftedness. And Father, we pray that we would not be a church that's an audience. Father, that we would be a church of servants, that we would come out on Sundays desirous not just to receive a message or sing a song or to fellowship, but that we would be looking for ways that as a Christian we can serve the body of Christ. Father, I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for the body here at Grace Bible Church that a vast majority of the people here are here to serve you and to serve one another. 
And for that, we're thankful. And Lord, we pray that if there's one here today who's yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, to follow your Son as their Lord and Savior, that you would draw them to that point of decision. That, Lord, you would work through their own desire, their own will, and you would bend it and conform it to yours. Father, we can't be dependent upon ourselves. That leads us to a place of no hope at all. But Lord, when our faith and our trust is placed in you and you alone, it is there that we receive the joy and the peace and the forgiveness of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Lord, whether it's someone here in this room or someone listening to the podcast or the live stream, Father, I pray that you would speak your truth to their heart, that they would yield themselves to you, that they would turn from their sin and turn to the Savior. Lord, be gracious to me, a sinner. That's a prayer that's prayed from a sincere heart. God will answer every time. He will forgive you the burden of your debt, your sin, and replace it with forgiveness that's found in Christ. Father, we thank you. We pray continually for the protection of those here in our body, in our community. And Father, we pray for wisdom as we press onward. We thank you and we praise you. Dismiss us with your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen.